Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to be with you today. Lovely to gather together as the Lord's people. I wonder what your morning has been like so far. Mine started pretty well, and uh, I arrived at church and discovered that Jake was already here tearing his hair out, trying to resolve some of the issues we have, and Andrew came and helped to get us to where we are. But it creates a sense of, my goodness me, what are we going to do? How are we going to cope? And I just observe around me that there are a lot of people, not, not necessarily here, but perhaps it applies to people here at the moment, who are in that situation of, how are we going to cope? Everything is just so challenging and so difficult. And people often say to me, uh, as we're talking about some trial or difficult thing that they're facing, oh, well, you know, there's lots of people who are far worse off than me. Well, in my experience, that's usually true. There is always somebody far worse off. But that doesn't diminish, does it? How difficult sometimes the challenges are that we are facing. It doesn't make dealing with those things any easier. Now, uh, I'm sure most of you are aware because you've been with us over the summer, but we've been in a series of psalms from Psalm 61 through to today's Psalm 65. And the first, up until last week, uh, the first block of those psalms up until last week, we've, we've met with David crying out to the Lord, lamenting, pouring out his soul with the challenges and the troubles and the threats that he felt that he was facing. But we've seen gloriously and wonderfully how he was always quick to turn his attention away from his problem to the one who could come and deal with him in that problem, the Lord God always focusing on what he has faithfully done over the years and then turning to praise and thanksgiving of his God. And that's where we get to in Psalm 65. At the end of that series of lament psalms, we come to this wonderful hymn of praise. And if you have your Bible handy, please do keep it open at page 580, Psalm 65. We can see just in the title there, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. This is something which was for the people to sing. And you'll see that the whole focus of the psalm is on God. In fact, there are references in this psalm to, to you, to your, to yourself, referring to God, 22 times in these few verses. Just by contrast, there are references to, to we and to us, but only five times, and always in response to who God is and what God has done. And then the psalm suggests that there are many reasons for David and for Israel to sing praise to God. You see, the people had come to God in prayer, perhaps because they were suffering a particular challenge or issue. Uh, some think possibly it's because they were under the oppression of Assyria, and the, as a result of that, there'd been famine in the land. And we see in verse 2 and verse 5 that God has wonderfully heard their prayer. We see in verse 3 that sin had become an overwhelming reality for them. 
but from which they were now gloriously forgiven. And God, in verse 5, we see had done some awesome deeds. In verse 7, we see how he'd shown his creative power in protecting them from, from their enemies. And in verses 2, 5, and 8, we have news of his power and glory and his uh, grace spreading throughout the world. And then in the final section, 9 to 13, a glorious harvest, perhaps coming after times of hunger. Well, I'd like to spend some time unpacking that a little bit more this morning. And I've got three headings just to look at. Verses 1 to 4, the God of grace. Verses 5 to 8, the God of power. And verses 9 to 13, the God of plenty. Well, um, just to give you a bit of a heads up, uh, if you're watching the clock or beginning to feel hungry as the sermon progresses, the first point will be the longest of the three. But we're going to look at the God of grace in verses 1 to 4. And key to this psalm, I think, is found in this section in verse 3. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Transgressions, just a, a word that means sins. Well, I wonder whether uh, you, you've ever thought about what that word overwhelmed means. It always strikes me that we always talk about being overwhelmed, but we don't very often talk about being whelmed, do we? Have you ever thought of, wondered why that is? I think to be whelmed is the same as being overwhelmed, but not quite so much. I wonder whether you've ever felt overwhelmed by circumstances or what's going on. Um, I'm going to ask Jake, actually, if he would um, come up and help me. I'm, I'm asking Jake to help me illustrate this idea of being overwhelmed. If you'd like to just stand over there, Jake. Um, I've asked Jake because he is a bit of a sporty type. Um, sorry. Can I just turn the radio mic on so folks can hear Tim? Now, all I'd like to do, Jake, is um, I've got some things that I'd like to do with you that are represented by a ball, okay? So I'm just going to throw you the ball. You're sporty, right? So you need to catch it. No pressure. Um, so do you fancy a coffee sometime? Yeah. Great. And, and a beer sometime as well? Lovely. Okay. Do you fancy tennis? Yeah. Yeah. Could you come around and see me and chat through my sermon? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Super. Brilliant. And how about bringing the family around for a meal? Okay, and a uh, game of squash maybe after that? Yep. In fact, I've got tickets for Twickenham. Do you want to yep. come with me? Okay, cool. And, uh, and, and uh, look, look, there's loads of things that we should be doing. Come on, you're sporty, catch it. Okay, thanks very much, Jake. See, sometimes in life, stuff comes at us, doesn't it? There's so much to be done. There are so many things demanding our energy and our, and our attention. And it can become overwhelming, just like Jake was overwhelmed by the barrage of balls flying at him. Now, imagine if what overwhelmed you wasn't stuff coming at you, 
It wasn't the busyness of the day, the tasks that various different situations were demanding of you. But what overwhelmed you was sin in your life. And it's not necessarily what we might think of as the big and obvious sins. Maybe you haven't murdered anybody. You haven't uh, stolen anything or robbed the bank or whatever. You've not run off with somebody you shouldn't have run off with. You've not assaulted somebody. You've perhaps not falsely accused somebody. Maybe it's something far less obvious than those things. Maybe being selfish. Maybe you find it difficult not to be greedy. Perhaps it's secretly coveting what other people have, always thinking, oh, they're so much better than me, and never finding a sense of contentment with what you've been given. Perhaps just ignoring God and pushing him to the sidelines, not putting him first as he commanded us to. And whatever that sin is, it can build up in us, can't it? It can be, begin to feel overwhelming. Perhaps the temptation towards that sin or the actual doing of it just comes and comes and comes and never seems to stop. It feels crushing. You may be desperate to resist it, but you just find you can't. And then that moves on to that sense of guilt. You can't get away. It's too much to bear. In the words of the psalmist, it overwhelms you. I wonder whether that's you this morning. And if it is, it's, you'll know from experience that it's very easy in that situation to forget what the best thing to do is when you're feeling that sense of being overwhelmed by sin. It is, of course, the remedy of prayer. Not just random prayers to something like some people joke about, but prayer to the one who has overcome sin in verse 3. And who answers prayer, as we see in verse 2 and 5. So let's just have a quick look at those verses. Verse 2, you who answer prayer. When we were overwhelmed by our sins, you forgave our transgressions. Verse 5, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. See, David shows us that God in his grace, forgives our every sin, however serious it is. And we spoke earlier, didn't we? I spoke just a moment ago about how we might not feel like we've committed the serious sins, but what about the more subtle ones? But to God, sin is sin, separating us from him. That's the grace of God, that he comes and forgives all those sins. And notice, by the way, just as an aside, how David doesn't say anywhere in this psalm, you came and forgave our transgressions 
when we did X, Y, and Z, or when we tried our best. No. The reality is that neither David nor we could ever do enough of X, Y, and Z. Our best would never be enough to cleanse us from our sin. And that is the God of grace who in his mercy can and does. And in verse 2, have a look at that with me. Um, Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. Some translations, all people. And perhaps better translated, all flesh will come. And often in the Bible, that term flesh implies sinful weakness. We as fleshly beings are not strong enough to do these things on our own. The great Victorian preacher Spurgeon put it like this. They are flesh and therefore weak, frail and sinful. They need to pray. And you are the God they need because you are touched with compassion and hear their cries. Friends, that's the God of grace. And let's not think that this forgiveness that we read of in verse 3 is a superficial thing. It's easy, isn't it, to trot the words out. You forgave our transgressions. And I don't necessarily find this very often, but on this, I think the King James Version, or the Authorised Version, as it's sometimes called, is beautiful as a translation on this verse. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. I don't know if you know uh, from a kind of a world of science or engineering what purging is, but it's when something's been contained in a container or a pipe and they need to put something else in that container or through it. And if you mix those two things, there would either be contamination or potential for explosion, for example. And so they use an inert substance to really, at pressure, purge all the contents out of whatever that container is, thoroughly cleaning it and then refilling it with something different so it can be put to a different use. That sense of God purging our sin means that he's not just looking at our sin and saying, oh, I'll put you a little bit of Savlon on, that would be okay. Sticky plaster over it. He purges us of sin. He cleanses us from the inside but then doesn't leave us as empty beings. Instead, he comes to dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. You can read more of that in John 14, if you want to later. You see, in effect, the control of our life changes from being controlled by sin to being controlled by God. I was uh, struck last week as uh, Steve and Katie Machel came and spoke to us about their work, their work with Mission A- Aviation Fellowship. And over the picnic uh, at, at lunchtime in the park, I was chatting to Steve uh, about flying and uh, talking about the potential risk when a pilot and a co-pilot are flying together of two people at once trying to control an aeroplane. 
You can imagine it, can't you? If uh, the pilot has got the joystick and is trying to climb, then the co-pilot's got the joystick and is trying to turn left or port or whatever it is they say in the air, I'm not sure. But Steve said, oh no, that wouldn't happen. Because in the air we have what's called a positive exchange of controls. And at one point the pilot will say, your controls. And the co-pilot will confirm my controls. You know, when we come to Jesus and he purges us of our sin and fills us with his spirit, there is a positive exchange of controls. Our lives are now controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I wonder if I can sense uh, an unspoken, hang on a minute, Steve. So if that's true, why do I keep on sinning? If God's taken over the controls, why is all this such a struggle? Well, I think to put it vaguely humorously to begin with is because we still try to take over the controls, don't we? I remember that fridge magnet that I think we had years ago in our family that just says, please be patient with me. God hasn't finished with me yet. You see, I still live in these last days, in this broken world. I still try to take control. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit, safely and securely for all eternity. But until Christ returns and makes all things new, as we read in Revelation 21, I'm still subject to sin. It's still subject to my selfishness and my desire for me to be in charge rather than God. So can I encourage you, if you're really struggling with these things, keep coming back to God's word. Hold on to verse 4. Have a look at that with me. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You see, David knew that as one chosen by God, he was eternally secure. That's why he could say in our first sermon in this summer series in Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I long to dwell in your tent forever. And here he is, King David, living in God's courts, enjoying all the good things that God gives to his children to those he has chosen to bring near to him to live in his courts, in his presence. That's, that's life in all its fullness that Jesus spoke about in John 10. And I think that's why at the beginning of this psalm in verse 1, David leaps straight in with praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. He's making a praise-filled commitment to live for his God. He's making a praise-filled commitment to live for the God of grace. But how could David be so sure? And how can we be? Well, let's look at the second point briefly, the God of power in verses 5 to 8. And David identifies God there, doesn't he? as the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. 
Now, that's not the sort of hope of, oh, I hope it doesn't rain for the picnic today. This hope is actually certainty. The, the original word, I understand, implies confidence in God. And we'll see something next week as we begin our series in 1 Peter, where in chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, he writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. You see, that's not just a wishful thinking, fingers crossed sort of hope, is it? That's a confident expectation that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a living hope, but also an inheritance. And we can be confident of that because God is the God of power. Verse 6, he created the mountains, he controls nature, he stills wars, he sustains all of his creation. We see that every time the sun comes up in the morning. He has power over chaos, whatever its source, whether that's nature or chaos and war between nations. And as a result, we see in verse 8 that those living far away fear your wonders. You call forth songs of joy. Sometimes... That's translated as the whole earth or those who dwell at the ends of the earth being filled with awe at your wonders. But you see, the whole earth, not just us here, will see his power and be called to sing for joy to the God of power. That's why David is so full of joy as he writes this hymn of praise. So he has joy in the God of grace who forgives he has joy in the God of power who gives eternal hope. And finally, verses 9 to 13, he has joy in the God of plenty. You know, God didn't just create the world and just sort of sit back and watch it ticking over. He cares deeply for the world. He cares deeply for everything and everyone whom he has made. And we see that in verses 9 to 13. Have a look at them with me. And I just thought um, it would be nice, actually, if we read these together. It's on page 580 in your church Bible. Let's read together verses 9 to 13 and see the wonder of God's care over all that he has made. So starting at verse 9, together. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with the showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, 
and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. Friends, that's a great set of verses to read if you wake up feeling a bit dismal and gloomy one day. I was looking for a picture to put to illustrate that, and I thought, you know what? That's just best left read and imagined, isn't it? Such a, a beautiful picture. You see, David's God is the God who didn't just do the minimum required. These verses just ooze his generosity. He enriches the world abundantly. This is the God of plenty. Now, I guess it's possible that somebody might want to challenge me and say, well, that's all very well for you, but I'm actually struggling right now. I am quite poor. It's difficult to make ends meet every month. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm not well. I'm feeling a deep sense of grief because someone I love has died. Life is actually pretty tough. What have I done that I'm not getting all this abundance that David speaks of in this psalm? Well, I think the answer to that last question in this context is nothing. See, just as we've seen how the God of grace forgave our sin and the God of power gives hope for confidence of the future, so the God of plenty abundantly blesses the earth and he also abundantly blesses those who are his. The Bible never promises us, never promises us riches, success, everything abundance, personal comforts in this life. Sometimes we get those things. But they aren't the reason for the hope that we have, are they? As God provided an abundant harvest for Israel, leading David to write this psalm, so God promises an abundant life for us. John 10.10, if you want to look it up later. Not necessarily in physical terms or economic terms in this life, but as we read in 1 Peter 3, as an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So as you read the final section of this psalm and consider the God who can provide so fully, so abundantly, just imagine for a minute what an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade would look like. Surely it will be at least as lavish as what's described in this psalm. And note, as we saw in 1 Peter, that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In other words, if you're finding life especially tough at the moment, I don't, I don't have easy answers and a click of the fingers that will make all of that go away. But 
there is a weight of you, the things that we're struggling with, whether that's ill health or anxiety or poverty or being bullied at school or at work or broken relationships or suffering from some abuse or feeling unloved and unwanted or grieving the loss of a loved one or anything else that makes life difficult. Friends, these things are temporary. Your inheritance in Christ is eternal and it will never perish, spoil or fade. It's been kept in heaven for you. So keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Make him your focus. And I would not promise for a moment that that makes all the troubles go away. But I'm pretty confident and in my own experience it will change the way you view them. So let me encourage you at the end of this beautiful psalm, this hymn of praise that David wrote, to continue as he did to remember who God is, to remember the God of grace, the God of power, the God of plenty, and his faithfulness over so many years. And let's begin to enjoy, even today, our eternal abundant inheritance in him. Let me pray. Gracious, Gracious Father, we thank you that you are indeed the God of grace, who forgives, who purges our transgressions. We thank you that you are the God of power, and so we can be confident in the hope that you give. And we thank you that you are the God of plenty, who provides so abundantly for our inheritance with you. Father, help us, I pray, day by day, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to the hope that we have of our inheritance with you. And may that strengthen us and equip us for the challenges we face this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I invite the musicians back up to the front. <clears throat>